0: News Power
1: Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And indeed, we got the business news that matters today. But uh, in FMR's homeland of the Cape, there's a fire raging which has taken out UCT. We're going to be talking to Quinton Rossi, the CEO of Spear Reet, which is helping the students. Uh, We've also heard from Vodacom that they are going to be providing students with five gigs of free airtime, uh, free data plus uh, 200 minutes of airtime. So companies now starting to come to the rescue. couple of hot stocks in our show tonight Uh, chief executive of mass real estate now you might remember mornay wilkin was on this program a while ago the chief executive of high prop and we asked him what his favorite share was he said that if he couldn't invest in high prop he would go with mass real estate so we've tracked down martin slabbert to bucharest in romania and a fascinating interview that's coming up later And then a hot stock that is about to be, well, has been listed on NASDAQ, and have an inward listing here on the JSC. Its name is CarTrack. Zach Callisto is the chief executive. We're going to be talking to him later in the week. But for some background, Chris Logan, uh, the chief executive of Opportunity Invest, will tell us why he's gone so big on this share. And two more stories for you. Uh, if you've never heard of NFT, Tees, non-fungible tokens. Tonight's the night to listen. Rob Hersov, entrepreneur extraordinaire and the chief executive of the new companies invested in will be with us. And then we close the show with Sid Vianello, independent analyst who talks about Steinhoff. Finally, some good news for Steinhoff. they listing the crown jewel Pepco on the Polish stock exchange. David Shapiro is our market, uh, our guest co-host rather, and he's just back from the bush looking refreshed and happy (laughs) and uh, tanned. Well, I don't know how how true that is, David, on the tanned (laughs) bit, but but I'm sure you saw a a fantastic part of our country.
2: Hi, Matt. The best by far. And, you know, credit to the people who actually established this wonderful park. And I love the Kruger. Why I love the Kruger is it extends 400 Ks, you know, from north to south. And throughout the journey, you know, the the vegetation changes, the animals change. It's just such a wonderful part of the country. And it's very refreshing. I love the low felt. I don't think you can replicate the low felt. You know, those fires that burn uh, when, you, when you make a braai. Somehow, there's a smell that you can't get anywhere else but the Low Fell. But it's a wonderful area. And really, then,
1: uh, not not that keen talking about fires at the moment. Is uh, what's going on in the Cape? Quinton Rossi is the CEO of Spear Reet. Have the fires gone out, Quinton? I know we're going to talk in some detail with you a little later, but is there m- much update there?
3: Um, Alec, it seems like there is. Uh, in certain areas, there are still fires um, that are uh, raging. Unfortunately. Uh, we've had some severe southeasterly winds in Cape Town today. As you know, uh, the southeaster can wreak havoc in the best of times and the worst of times. Um, we have seen fires uh, spread throughout the kind of upper Walmart State area and reaching towards kind of upper Salt River area as well. Um, but uh, yeah, m- more than that, unfortunately, I'm not uh, not, not up to date with uh, per se, but uh, it has seen towards maybe the fire, maybe moving a little bit closer towards the more southern uh, suburb side of the mountain away from the city bowl, where this morning it was actually quite um, uh, touch and go. Friederhoek was evacuated. University Estate was evacuated. And, um, yeah, a lot of uh, tense situations. Our, our head office building here in the Cape Town CBD was just um, completely uh, kind of engulfed with smoke throughout the CBD uh, we had to obviously take some proactive ventilation measures uh, on our building from a fresh air ventilation perspective. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit of chaos here in Cape Town at the moment. Uh, but the authorities and the firefighters, hats off to these brave men and women that are just doing a phenomenal job.
1: Well, Quentin, we'll be talking more about how you're going to be helping the students in a little while. But first, let's get up to date with the other news from around the world. Here's our editor at large, Jackie Cameron.
4: The Democratic Alliance has called for an independent investigation into a fire that broke out on the slopes of Table Mountain and damaged buildings at the University of Cape Town and elsewhere. It says in a statement that, while the hot weather and high winds certainly played a major role in the fast spread of this fire, there should have been more effective contingency measures in place to prevent its rapid spread. Both Sandparks and UCT need to provide answers, it says. Escom Holdings says it's urgently seeking new providers of technical support after Oracle's South African unit withdrew its services over a payment dispute. The state power utility has been in disagreement with Oracle, which initially claimed Escom underpaid it by about 7.3 billion rand. It then reduced the amount to 380 million. Escom says it is only prepared to pay 166 million rand. South Africa's health regulator has asked the government to lift the pause on administering Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine, provided certain conditions are met. These conditions include, but are not limited to, strengthening, screening and monitoring of participants who are at high risk of blood clotting disorder, the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority said in a statement. South Africa halted J&J vaccines after health agencies on Tuesday called for their suspension in the US. The J&J shot is a key element to South Africa's vaccination plan and has already been used to inoculate health workers with no reported adverse effects. Drugmaker Aspen PharmaCare will manufacture the J&J vaccine in South Africa for wider use. The unprecedented oil inventory glut that amassed during the coronavirus pandemic is almost gone, underpinning a price recovery that's rescuing producers but vexing consumers. Blomberg reports that the rebalancing comes as OPEC and its allies keep vast swathes of production offline and a tentative economic recovery rekindles global fuel demand. It's propping international crude prices near the 67 US dollar a barrel, which is a boon for producers, yet an increasing concern for motorists and governments wary of inflation. And that was your Business Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Business. For more on those stories, do go to biznewsradio.com.
1: Thanks, Jackie. BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Justin Rowe Roberts has been watching the markets today.
5: The JSE All Share Index was down at 68,100. The highlights included NASPUS down 75 Rand to 3,470 Rand a share on the back of Tencent Trading Week in Hong Kong this morning. Sabanja Stillwater was down three and a half percent to seventy rand a share. South African conglomerate Bidvest was down three rand fifty to one hundred seventy three rand a share, and Steinoff was flat on the day at two rand twelve after announcing that it's awaiting creditors' approval to list its European discount retail business, Pepco, on the Polish exchange. In the currency markets, the rand was weaker against all the major currencies, to fourteen rand twenty three cents to the dollar, nineteen rand ninety cents to the sterling, and seventeen rand eleven cents to the euro. Gold is flat at $1,773 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $66.70 a barrel. And after Bitcoin tumbled almost 18% at one point over the weekend, whilst investors rotated into more investment-grade cryptocurrencies such as Dogecoin, the price has subsequently stabilized somewhat and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back a shade under 800k.
1: Dogecoin. Dogecoin. That was supposed uh, to be a joke. Named
5: after a dog
1: name after a dog and it's now heading towards a dollar for a dogecoin
5: i stand to be corrected but i think it's the best performing asset in the world this year
1: well if it started at one cent it's now a dollar david dogecoin come on Mm -hmm. the market's gone you have been around long enough to Mm -hmm. see all types Mm -hmm. of crazy but have you seen anything Mm -hmm. quite um, at this level Mm -hmm. that we we currently experiencing
2: yeah, this is JP Morgan getting a tip or, a, you know, f- from the shoeshine boy. And I think we're in that area when it comes to cryptocurrency. I just stand back because uh, there are too many evangelists to argue with. So, you know, the one thing you don't get do is get into an argument with a crypto coin person. You just say, OK, <laughs> you know, I relent. <laughs> you win. But have you so bought? It's, it's that kind of. No, no, not at all.
1: Not?
5: No. Uh, have no. you bought? Uh, I haven't bought it. I, I was taught Graham and Dodd Buffett. I wasn't taught Dogecoin. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and you got a lot of cars sitting there. Oh, what do they know? Let me take another beer, yeah. man. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, but while you were away, there were some crazy stuff, crazy things happening in China where uh. Uh, Jack Ma, in fact, in the Financial Times over the weekend, they had a big story on the the rise and fall of Jack Ma, they called it. Mm. He's been attacked by the Chinese uh, Communist Party. Mm. They effectively are forcing all of the companies, that all of these big companies that have been making fantastic profits for a period of time, to open their walled gardens to their competitors. Mm. Uh, and I see mm. a little bit of a delayed reaction, but certainly Tencent and Nuspern are now coming under pressure. This has got to be waving some flags to us, Dave.
5: I'm
2: not that worried because I think for the competition to actually challenge their dominance is going to take a long time. I think they're so entrenched and it's so entrenched in the culture there that uh, there might be certain areas that come under attack. But this is typical of the same attitude that you're going to find in America. But, you know, if if, if you're advertising on Facebook or you're advertising, it's unlikely that you're suddenly going to switch your advertising to uh, somewhere else, you know, to some other um, established uh, uh, platform. So I I see it as maybe a short-term issue, but I don't think in the long term... Uh, the 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 um, Baidu's, the Tencent's, the Alibaba's are going to be are really going to give up too much. Ground. that's not the I point,
1: don't... Dave. That's not the point. Mm. Up until now, Alipay has not been allowed onto WeChat's uh, platform. Now they're mm. going to be allowed. So suddenly, from okay. having making excess profits as uh, as WeChat in your payment system, mm-hmm. now you've got the competitor who are, you have to open yeah. the doors to, and this is happening across the board it's it's the way i looked at it the jack ma speech where he attacked the uh, chinese government yep. was the most expensive speech in history because it's going to smash their profits <laughs> in a big way it's it's antitrust I, but, yeah, in one fell swoop
2: it is it is antitrust and i think this is what perhaps the american authorities are trying to achieve you know in in very much the same way and and so what if you get two options? You know, they're still going to make money by transactions coming through their platforms and that. So even if there is uh, not WeChat, you know, WeChat challenging uh, Alipay, um, at, at the end, you're going to get the one that suits you the most. And I, I'm, I'm happy for, for everything to open up uh, and for us to, to go with the dominance. So but, I'm in, not mm, too
1: but capitalism constant. is about making mm. excess profits until you can't anymore. And what the Chinese government have said, you can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, mm-hmm. the whole well, Chinese philosophy was we will build these champions and give them whatever mm-hmm. they can. And Naspers and South African pensioners have really benefited from this. If mm-hmm. those excess mm-hmm. profits are disappearing, it's, you've got to start thinking twice. Although Naspers, it's such a huge discount <laughs> to its <laughs> underlying value. You've got a mm-hmm. big, big 10 cent but, knock before you need to worry
2: yeah i i, I think they 'll let 's watch i think this is i 'm with you one 's got to pay careful attention, but my own underlying view is that they will overcome this you know this they will adapt to these kind of situations. it is such a huge economy there are so many Billions of people. I was reading this weekend. I, I spent quite a bit of time just looking at the luxury side of their spending, and I mean, you know, the Chinese will eventually account for over fifty percent of high goods, of high priced goods. You know, and and this is where the electric cars are going to be sold. This is where where you're going to find the S-Class Mercedes being sold, and that's so I, th- I I think don't write off China. You know, um, I don't think you can hold this back, despite what the authorities want to do. So I still remain very positive on where the chinese market is going where the chinese consumer is going and that despite the fact that they're trying to hold it back so yeah, let's watch. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still a bull.
1: <laughs> okay, well, we heard that half of half of all the high end goods, but there's only one sixth of the of the of the population of the world. But anyway, David, I'm not going to challenge a chartered accountant. I am going to ask though, for Quentin Rossi, who's the CEO of Spear Reit, a listed company on the JSC. Um, if if you can bring us uh, up to date on what what you guys are doing, what Spear are doing to help. In Cape Town, uh, the victims of, and particularly the students uh, who've been evacuated from UCT as a result of this horrific fire.
3: Uh, yeah, thanks Alec. Um, obviously, um, just uh, by extension, uh, as you mentioned, it's not just students. It's uh, many men and women and families that live around the university uh, city, Cape Town City Bowl area that, um, that have also been affected. And um, you know, we've got a longstanding business relationship with the University of Cape Town in terms of providing various um, conference services and a very strategic relationship given our proximity of the Double Tree by Hilton to the University of Cape Town. And um, very similar to the view we took during COVID uh, when we um, offered accommodation for uh, self-isolation as well as our feeding schemes. Uh, we took the same view that, you know, we, this is on our doorstep. Um, You know, we're a Cape Town only business and the fruits of our labor is generated from Cape Town and we had to um, step up and make space available. Not that there's a lack of any demand. Not that there isn't enough space available in Cape Town and hotels at the moment, but um, uh, we took that view and uh, we reached out to UCT and said, uh, we're available. uh, We have the room capacity and the room space uh, available and we, um, we'd like to obviously channel the communications through the university as opposed to just taking a kind of a gunshot approach and just because uh, unfortunately that, that also can come back to bite you unfortunately. So, so that's what we did. And um, also a fantastic organization, Gift of the Givers, uh, coordinated the um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner of the various students that we did accommodate. Uh, to date we've accommodated probably around 14 uh, university students uh, in day one. And as the situation develops um, and as UCT starts to, you know, fill up Pitting campus residences as well as the other uh, unaffected residences that are not in the southern suburbs, uh, we stand at the ready to, um, to assist uh, further where possible. And, um, yeah, so, so we basically just said, guys, we have this resource uh, at our disposal and uh, we're willing to make it available and we'll be guided by the university uh, as and when and how. So, so in other words,
1: any, any students who are looking for accommodation, uh, go along to the, to the Hilton, to the Doubletree, and away you go. You'll get a room. Is that the way it works?
3: Well, uh, as I mentioned, we coordinate that through the university. So, uh, we're in direct communication with the university's accommodation team who then we coordinate okay. with So in a, in a much more orderly manner. Because unfortunately, um, you know, if it's done, if it's done on, a, on, a, on a gunshot approach, then, you know, it becomes a bit uh, uh, difficult to validate and confirm. Uh, unfortunately, whether it's in a crisis or not in a crisis, you do have um, situations where people do chance their luck as well.
1: Sure. Justin, that's your old university.
5: Yeah, it's my alma mater. Very sad to see, Um, but great to see what Quinton and the Spear Group are doing, helping students out. I was following the drama very closely on Twitter. And uh, strength to those affected and the firefighters, first and foremost.
1: Uh, Vodacom have also come to the party. They've given every student five gigs of data and I think it's 200 minutes of airtime, just gratis during this period. It's nice to see that, to see businesses stepping up.
5: It's great to see these corporates stepping up, Alec. And um, although they might not be doing it, losing money, not profitably, I think for the longer term, in terms of reputation, it puts them in good stead. And um, yeah, kudos to the Spear Group and Vodacom for, for their efforts.
1: You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Chris Logan is also a resident of Cape Town, but you're on the other side of the mountain, Chris, in Camps Bay. Has it been yes. smoky, your, your area?
6: No, we've been safe this time, fortunately, thanks, Alec.
1: But it is. It's quite horrific. And, and you have to wonder, uh, in the headlines that Jackie Cameron was reading out a little earlier, uh, why we keep having these problems in the Cape. The DA are now asking questions. I suppose it's always good after the event to be asking the question, but they should be before you have these outbreaks.
6: Sure, absolutely. Look, unfortunately, there are more and more homeless people sleeping in the felt. Um, it's a sad reality, uh, but it's really picked up over the last year with COVID, too.
1: Chris, we're here to talk about something much happier with you, and that is Car Track. Thank you very much for sending me Zach Callisto's shareholder letter. You can see he writes it himself. It isn't something that's done by a PR company, which is a big tick uh, in in his favor, given how many people or how few CEOs actually do write their own letter to shareholders.
6: Yes. no, And I think it's an outstanding letter. You know, I only came across it, I think, yesterday. I I think it's Amazon-type caliber jeff bezos it reminded me of jeff bezos's letter and you can see this is a guy you know who's had to wriggle in life you know having to leave mozambique as an eight-year-old with his family you know at the time of what he calls the revolution and then start from scratcher and as he says his father made him work weekends in those formative years to you know know the benefit of work and, he- and um any
1: relationship to the Callisto's restaurant in the south of Joburg? Very famous restaurant there.
6: Not that I know. <laughs> but yeah. So great, a great letter. And, and I thought the key comment was after being in the industry for 26 years, I believe we are only just commencing our journey. And this is for a company which is grown at a phenomenal rate over the last 10 years actually it's 5 year growth rate is even better than it's 10 year growth rate 5 year compounded growth rate in subscribers 21.3% per annum 10 year growth rate 20% per annum and um, I've drawn a parallel with Capitech. I think in many ways they're very similar I've had the pleasure of visiting both head offices and you know seeing both CEOs is that spot Spartan, no frills, down to business at the head office, low cost culture, um, you know, concentrating this obsession on the customer, you know, giving the customer a great platform. And a big enabler, I think, in both companies has been this low cost approach. You know, if you low cost, you can always give your customer more. And I pointed out that Zach you know, despite the f- wonderful things he's done for shareholders, he only paid himself uh, three point eight million last year. You know, way below what his peer Bix paid twelve point eight million, and and that type of thing comes across time and time again. And um, you know, obviously, when you low cost, it gives you greater benefit or greater scope to grow and to earn super profits, which they've been doing. Their um, return on Invested capital 35 percent, return on equity 50 percent. So you've had this phenomenal growth and phenomenal profitability, and then that intriguing comment that we've just commenced our journey.
5: <laughs> Chris, just just one point there on the remuneration. I, I do agree, less than four bars when his competitors getting 12 bars is impressive. But uh, he does own 70 million shares, and they paid a 90 rand dividend, so that's, uh, that's around <laughs> 60 bars. I don't think he needs to remunerate himself uh, any better.
6: No, sure, and that's a good point. And, you know, as he points out, people have always come to him and say, why don't you sell down? And um, he's never been prepared to because he said the share was underpriced. He was actually an aggressive buyer upping his stake at, at I think, 13, 14
5: rands. Chris, Chris, sorry, you, yeah. just just in terms of the speculation of the price, um, when they announced the Nasdaq listing, the price has um, gone from around forty rand to ninety rand, and it's gone down to about fifty. It seems like the Nasdaq listing price was a bit of a disappointment to the market.
6: A good point. It's my understanding that they had to set that price at twenty eight dollars because of the 42 rand reinvestment option that South Africans were given. So the $28 equated to 42 rand times 10, because you're giving in 10 shares to get one karu. So it's my understanding that they they could have got a higher price, but they were constrained not to give preferential prices to car track shareholders versus the new
1: shareholders so is it a temporary thing chris
6: yes i think uh you know once that's out the way i think you know down the line they can issue uh shares at a higher price
1: david i don't know if you've been following the whole car track story but it is it's been hard to miss given the fantastic performance of the company and of of the stock are you thinking of uh, perhaps participating or are you already <laughs>
2: You know, I've I followed the company. It's been, it has been a wonderful growth story and credit to Zach for what he has achieved. And it's software, you know, it's software that um, you monitor vehicles. I mean, and that's, that's the easiest thing. That's why it's so low cost. And, uh, and that's what's so wonderful about technology companies today, which are software driven. The only thing that I had difficulty getting my head around was the sale or the, kind of disbandment of car track and then suddenly a new company emerges. So from an accountant point of view, you know, I've been saying, hold on a sec. Why is, why is it being done this way? Why does Cartrack vanish, evaporate? just, you know, uh, uh, kind of, um, it, it just finishes, you paid your 42 Rand dividend, and it goes, and now a new company emerges in which you're, so I've, be, I've been battling with the mechanism and why that mechanism was done, you know, I'm saying, hold on, was the 42 Rand uh, a way to get things done, you know, transferred cheaper? I don't know. I, I, I've, I've got no strong views about it, but I must admit that going through the whole technicalities, I had difficulty understanding uh, why it was done this way. And maybe Chris can put some light on that one.
6: I, I can try. Um, it's my understanding that um, the Reserve Bank insisted on a on a buyout rather than a swap. And the buyout price was 42 Rand. I think... Um, and that's somewhat onerous on our shareholders because we are mm. going to be faced with capital gains uh-huh. tax on the 42 red. We actually uh-huh. cashed out at 42, and uh, we then investing in a new company. Uh-huh. Apparently, the Reserve Bank didn't just want a straight straight swap rollover. I think Zach actually. Um, Transferred his shares into a Singapore entity way back at about 14 rand. Mm. There was an offer um, up two or three years ago, I could go dig, dig it up. But yeah, it, the mechanism certainly hasn't been friendly from a car track shareholder perspective, particularly if you're a, a taxpayer, you're going to have a capital gains tax bill. Mm. In
1: theory, mm. these offshore listings are always great news and we, we saw the excitement around process being listed in amsterdam but that brought capital gains tax and a disappointing share price improvement what's going to make this one different chris or or why should it be different
6: well to me i I tell you there are a couple of things which are good with the listing apart from that the, the mechanism and the potential uh you know negative tax consequences He's now got paper which is far more highly rated. So he can issue paper, you know, at half the cost previously, and he was never prepared to issue paper before. Um, there's going to be far greater understanding. You know, most South Africans got scared with car track. They thought Google was going to come up with mm-hmm. some tracking thing, and that was going to be the end of it. You now go and look, you know, there's this 336-page registration statement where there's clarity given like never before. You know, you you gain huge uh, comfort in some of the things, like the cost of acquiring customers has been falling. You know, tremendous thing. Um, And I think, you know, it's going to enable a foster growth rate. There is a lot of upfront costs. If you you suddenly bring on a lot of uh, new subscribers because you buy the tracking device... And, you know, it then comes back to you over a five-year subscription. So there are a lot of advantages. And, uh, you know, Zapp's also got a team, I think, of about 180 guys, mainly engineers in Singapore, keeping on improving the software. And, you know, they want uh, proper paper. And unfortunately, you know, that's not JSC paper Mm -hmm. anymore. I mean, it's a sad thing, but... You know, we haven't had a good listing on the JSC since I don't know when. Maybe David can remember. <laughs> a good, yeah. Was
1: it 1927,
6: Dave? Nearly.
1: I'm trying
2: to think of the last. I, really, we haven't. Sibanya, had, Sibanya, had, had, had
1: come on. Sibanya has uh, been Sibania, a spectacular Sibania listing.
2: Was a yeah. It, it it's it wasn't a new listing. You know, Sibanya was a. Uh, put-together company. You could have
1: bought it, it at 12 bucks, and it's now seventeen. I mean, that's not, not bad,
2: did, Yeah, Diskin was probably the last one. But, uh, you know, there also hasn't been an outstanding, overroaring success. Chris, the only thing that with the secondary listing, it's only about 10% of the company that is listed on JSC, you know, that, that will revolve around here. We're going to have to buy shares, you know, from NASDAQ. There's going to have to be some kind of arbitrage if we do want to increase, which I suppose
6: will come.
1: And that happens on uh, on Wednesday, does it, Chris, that the inward listing begins?
6: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's my understanding, you know, the American shareholders make up most of the register and the European guys will move off into the NASDAQ register over time. But anyway.
1: Well, thanks, uh, Chris Logan, who's the CEO of Opportune Investments. And uh, from a story that if you'd done your homework on, like Chris always does, you would have done terribly well out of car track. To another one, which you now have a bite at this, Cherry, it's brand new. It is something called non-fungible tokens. And who else but Rob Hersoff, extraordinary entrepreneur here in South Africa, has got involved. I had a lengthy interview with him today with him and the 22-year-old, uh, one of the three co-founders of the company, Josh Minsk. Uh, you can go and listen to that on Business News Radio. But here's a highlight package or at least a part to whet your appetite on what non-fungible tokens are about. Here's Rob Hersoff, and uh, our conversation a little earlier with him and Josh. We've got a really interesting subject to talk to you about now, one that is rocking the rest of the world. It's called NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. Someone who's about my vintage, Rob Hershoff, uh, entrepreneur well-known to Biz News community members. What is a non-fungible token, perhaps, as a starting
7: well, point? Just to be honest with you, a month ago, I didn't know what an NFT was. Okay, So uh, if anyone listening onto to this, Hasn't heard an NFT, don't feel bad, but make sure you learn what it is so you can tell other people because it's pretty cool and it's happening. And I I got a call, I got four or five calls on a Friday from three young guys, one of whom's gonna come on the call right now. Who basically said, we've got to talk to you. And uh, by the end of that day, my brain had opened and I went, wow. My wife said, you promised not to take on anything new. This is ridiculous. You're going crazy again. And by Monday, I had basically wired on a handshake $50,000 to these three guys because what they're doing is groundbreaking from many different angles. A non-fungible token is a digital certificate or certification of ownership, providence, legacy, countenance based on the blockchain. So any digital item, ownership can be proven irrevocably in perpetuity.
1: Josh, your surname is Minsk, I think, which is a well-known surname uh, because of the of the city. Do you have any Russian relations?
8: Yeah, yeah. The family the family started out there before they moved over to the UK, which is where where I was born, and then I grew up in South Africa.
1: And how did you meet Rob Hursov?
8: So uh, a couple of my business partners and I were working on software projects in the Cape Town area, and um, and we were growing a business here and we bumped into Rob in the Ideas Cartel building, which is a co-working space that we were in, and just started talking from there. And I think when we started working on this idea, Rob was just our go-to, you know, we absolutely knew that if we needed to connect to somebody, Rob would be the guy to help us do it.
1: And why $50,000?
8: So that was just part of the starting cost essentially that we needed to, to hire up and get everything that we needed so that, so that we could just plow ahead you know, I think when you're when you're working on technology like this, you need to have all of the blockers removed because there's, a, there's enough on the technological side and also on the business development side. And having to jump out of focusing on growing the business and start worrying about funding again, that's that's something that we wanted to negate early on.
1: Rob, the amount, $50,000, it doesn't sound like a huge investment, but when you translate it into RANS, it is sizable.
7: You know, it's it's it was the right amount to get the tech development done and to have Josh, Aaron, and Adam drop pretty much everything they were working on and focus entirely on this. And three weeks later, on Friday, they had built the platform. I mean, I've never seen anything like it.
1: It's called Moment. Spelt. M-O-M-I-N-T. M-O-M-I-N-T. Okay. I-N-T. You need- <laughs> the moment, the <for> moment. <laughs> you need- <laughs> nfts josh explain that minting nfts
8: Mm. so minting an nft is essentially what you have to do to create one it's sending a piece of information onto the blockchain and it goes around all the different computers connected to that blockchain and they all verify that the information is true and correct that's how uh, decentralized blockchain blockchain systems work effectively and usually there's a significant cost involved with doing that and i think that's where our, our tech started becoming quite exciting because the people we were speaking to in the in the art community, in the content community who were looking to create NFTs, the, the minting cost that they would have to pay was ranging dramatically anywhere from $50 to $250. And many of the people that we were speaking to were actually losing money uh, every time they were trying to sell NFTs because the cost of minting one and transferring one was so so egregious. And We developed a piece of technology on our side now that can allow you to do that for Ascent. So we're able to scale it and give it to the masses dramatically quicker now.
1: Give us an example, perhaps, of something that you have minted.
8: An example of the first thing that we minted as Moment, the business, and it went live on on Friday to a closed test group, was uh, a Brian Abana special edition. Um, so we did a 3 d render of, of Brian Banner racing a cheetah there one of one of the iconic moments that he 's known for and and we put it up there for auction on the platform it 's actually still live right now there 's a couple of people who 've bid on it. I think the bid 's sitting sitting at about ten thousand dollars at the moment, we <laughs> expect it to go up but the process of of minting something is essentially you you create the item in real real or digital life you know whether whether that 's a 3 d piece of art whether it 's a video a, audio file, whatever, whatever have you, and then you mint it to the blockchain by via, via a smart contract. So, so you create a smart contract that defines the terms, and then you mint it to the blockchain with those terms. And every time it gets transferred there, the ownership changes or anything, that smart contract goes with it, and the rules are applied.
1: Rob, why would anyone pay $10,000 or more, it seems, for something like Brian Habana racing a cheetah?
7: Well, let me just say that, that four weeks ago, Beeble, a digital artist, sold a work through Christie's for 69 million US dollars. And two, 69 million US dollars, a digital piece of art that you can't touch. And two weeks later, uh, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, sold the original tweet, the first tweet that his company ever sent for $3 million. So I I sort of noticed this and the world's gone mad. But I love it when the world goes mad, particularly when there's a technology involved. Because you know there'll be a bubble, a bit of a crash, and then the real businesses will emerge. The the manifestation of of that technology will be real and exciting new businesses. And that's with moments. And that's why I knew what to do, having spent just a few hours with the guys. I saw their vision. I got it.
1: Beeple, by the way, uh, also is known as Beeple Crap. Uh, and his website is Beeple-Crap.com. And the digital art that he put together sold for $69 million. It, 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 it like boggles the mind. But don't write this thing off. When you think about and you go into the interview, you'll see that it's disrupting or has the potential, non-fungible tokens, to completely disrupt, for instance, media because media is based on providing content that advertisers advertise around, and we know that Facebook and Google have taken the lion's share of that now, so hence media companies are in a a very difficult situation. What non-fungible tokens do, and something like Moment, which is a South African company, as you heard, is they will allow you to sell access to that piece of content. So you write a, a story, David, your column. Instead of putting your col- column amongst fifty others in Business Day, that column can go on to add, can be sold as a non fungible t- token to say a thousand people who prepare to read it and pay uh, five dollars each. So suddenly you get five thousand dollars for something that you would ordinarily uh, do for free, or maybe get a thousand rand for, and it's 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 transformative. It's a little bit just in like when people started off with Bitcoin. I can remember Bitcoin sitting at, at uh, $6,000 and thinking the people are nuts to be buying Bitcoin. And today?
5: No, for sure, Alec. I'm still trying to get my head around this non-fungible token thing. I think mm-hmm. it's going to take a few more nights of sleep, but um, <laughs> I, I do tend to agree.
1: Chris, you you you're good on new things.
6: Unfortunately, Alec, I'm a bit old. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, I hear you you know um, if you think of the technology I mean just think someone who does proper research and then you know Mm. using that technology Mm. Um, you know I'm not sure whether some of this art which is commanding these huge prices whether that will sustain itself but I I certainly think as an enabler to to, you know proprietary work it sounds fantastic Mm.
1: I once met a very famous artist I'm not going to tell his name because it it would be embarrassing for him, but we had dinner at his home in paris, okay just when i when I was living in the u k we did uh, uh, travel a little bit, and he said it, it, the art that he was making was uh, I looked at it and I just couldn't make any sense of it and he said, well, that doesn't matter he says all when you've got a, a an apartment in Manhattan and a flat in London. Uh, the next thing you need is a piece by Beep Beep, his name. And that's really how he marketed it. So I guess uh, um, Beeple Crap is in a similar kind of a situation where he's now sold something for $69 million. Somebody says, hey, I got the best Beeple Crap uh, ever to be produced. But, but to that aside, when you go a little bit further down into the blockchain, it's so interesting to see that something we've spoken a lot about and understood very vaguely is now starting to have practical applications. And I can see, and and I'd urge you to go and listen to the interview with Rob and Josh. I can see from that, understand from that, that there is a very applicable, um, uh, practical approach for non-fungible tokens and and not to get uh, dismissive. Uh, by seeing art going for, for ridiculous prices, it's everything new is always uh, often mankind dismisses without investigation, and I think that's where uh, the mistakes of wealth not being created are made. Uh, I, I'm again, David. I'm sure you've no. seen this time and time I, again. Both you and Chris no. have seen stocks or companies' shares that are so cheap for so long no. because no. they have a bad name or other investors no. dismiss them and say, I'm not prepared no. to invest there.
2: No, don't dismiss blockchain. I think you might dismiss Doge or whatever the... Uh, <laughs> concern, Dogecoin, but I think blockchain technology... Uh, is something that you're going to have to monitor and understand. And I think Chris put it so aptly in saying, you know, you create a, a piece of research and that's your propriety, that's your intellectual property, and you want to protect it. You don't mind releasing it to the rest of the world, but you want to know that it's yours and you want your stamp on it. And I think this is where uh you're you know you are going to be able to uh to protect it. So I think it's very important. I don't, you know, those non-token, those sixty million, for me that's just that's just crazy. You know, that's uh that's stamp collecting and that and I just I dismiss that, but I don't dismiss uh what this stands for at all. Um, you know, to pay ten thousand dollars for For Brian O'Banner chasing a cheetah, okay, you know, I can do better with $10,000. But I understand where this is going, and and from that point of view, I'm a big supporter.
1: Well, a company that has not been properly recognized yet, or at least according to uh, Mornay Wilkin, the chief executive of HyProp, is a business that he was once CEO of. Mm -hmm. It's called Mass Real Estate, and I got hold of Martin Slavert. I don't think he gives too many interviews. He's a South African who went to Bucharest. 15 years ago, worked for Deloitte over there and has worked together with his partner, his Romanian partner, in becoming a, uh, I think it's the second biggest developer of office blocks in, sorry, of shopping centers in Romania, which is second only to South Korea in terms of economic growth. Let's have a listen to that interview. We heard yesterday that Growth Point has been made an offer for its shares in an Eastern European uh, company. What is it about eastern Europe that that has got so many first of all South Africans involved in in the in the first instance and secondly uh, that it 's now becoming such a hot place to invest?
9: I think that South Africans became really interested in Eastern Europe because of the performance frankly of Nepi from around 2009 to 2015, 16, actually. Um, it's, uh, Eastern Europe um, is a, and when I speak about Eastern Europe, I speak about the European Union part of, East, uh, Eastern European part of the European Union, has been a high growth uh, consumption, consumer environment for some decades now, and we think will be for a few decades to come. So uh, from a macro perspective, there's a lot of momentum And provided that you could pick a good strategy and and implement that strategy well within an environment where the macroeconomics are positive, then, of course, there's a good chance of one doing very good business. I do think at the same time, one should be uh, a little bit careful of thinking that because you invest in Eastern European property, you will necessarily do well. Um, This is also an environment where there's a lot of disruption in real estate. And a number of investors have burned their fingers here, not only South African investors, but prior to 2008, there was a number of, uh, of European investors that burned their fingers in Eastern Europe. And uh, there have been some, some casualties uh, uh, from South Africa as well in the last few years. Uh, but yes, I mean, uh, there is high consumption growth. There should be continuous high consumption growth. So if you're if you good at what you do and you understand the environment, you don't become a victim of disruption, uh, one can do very well here.
1: At the price that you bought in on the 18th of March, when I say you, that was managers, when you bought 18 million of tax shares, how does that compare with the net asset value? In other words, you looked at that and you, you looked at what the value of the company was and you must have had some kind of a margin of safety in your head. Yes, the, the price at
9: which we've been buying and we bought at an average price of 69 cents, almost 10% of the company since um, since the pandemic is really a steal. Uh, it doesn't It doesn't often get as good as this. Um, I would imagine that, that mass should, in fact, I think once we have the pandemic, it will probably trade at a premium to net asset value because of the development pipeline and, and the growth that we expect to get from there. So I, I would see value even at a premium to NAV. NAV at the moment is about a euro 15 cents, and the trading is around 94, 95 cents. Um, so yes, I think if you're a long-term investor, uh, there's a lot of value in this rate.
1: Of the Romanian market, because that is where you're most focused, where would you stack up in a league table, as it were, of the bigger operators in property there?
9: We are at the moment, I think, the second largest shopping center owner. Nepi, by far, is the largest shopping center owner, Um, and uh, we shortly after that, followed by another player. And as a commercial developer I think we the largest commercial developer in Romania so we develop more square meters today of new commercial space than anybody else uh, as a residential developer we one of the top seven eight by volume at the moment but expect me to become much larger than that in the next number of years
1: and and just to close off with this deal that growth point has done always uh, in the Process of doing and selling twenty nine, it's twenty nine and a half percent of global worth real estate. you obviously must know a global worth quite well. Would you, if you were the owner of growth Point, be selling those shares?
9: Uh, that's difficult for me to comment on. Uh, we're a tenant uh, in one of the Growth Point buildings, and they—they well-known office uh, operators in in Romania. I suppose it depends on what one strategy is as to whether you hold on to a stake like that or not. I think for a, for a listed company with its own management team, you always need to wonder why you would hold a minority stake in another listed vehicle.
1: Now, isn't that interesting? Growth Point, big in Romania. Uh, um, this company mass real estate, big in Romania, and of course the the, the daddy of them all uh, that he mentioned a little earlier, they are the uh, the major holders of uh, real estate or commercial real estate uh, in romania uh, the south the South Africans seem to just love that country uh, does that Does that fill you with uh, apprehension or um, perhaps uh, excitement, David.
2: I, look, it's. Uh, I remember the late Mark Weiner, you know, talking to me and encouraging me and saying, you know, if he would have only discovered that area, Eastern Europe, a lot earlier, you know, he would have put everything into it. So I, I, I take my cue from Mark. You know, Mark was a a king of property and that, and sadly, you know, passed away uh, very early in his life. I mean, but um, I. I you know the the returns that have been made have been spectacular. Um, we've got to learn a lot more about it, and you heard it on the show. You know you've you've heard what's uh, what's encouraging about it. But I must say one thing, and Chris, help me out on this: when was Mass originally listed? You've been around a long time. This is not a new company. This was a shell. Hey. <laughs> yeah
6: unfortunately i don't
1: know <laughs> okay so that's the old mess that they've oh, now turned into yeah, a because, yeah because because martin is, is was you? the man who grew uh-huh. neppy neppy which is he by is. far the, the the biggest player yeah, there I'm now just, he uh, was the one who grew that then he had a fallout with them it's a it's a really good interview uh-huh. and I, I suggest you if you get a chance go and uh-huh. read it listen to it on biz news radio um, but that. Uh, then they must have got a hold of a cash shell through the attack cars, mm. and, and mm. They've, they're doing pretty well with it. Well, there's another big story in Eastern mm. Europe, and welcome to Sid Vianello, who I know is well-known to the two of you, South Africa's one of South Africa's top retail analysts, now very independent. And Sid, the story today is that Steinhoff has got some good news at last, and Eastern Europe is related to it.
0: Um, Alexia, I suppose you, you can call it good news that they plan to list it, but um, the reality is they always plan to list it. Um, all they're really doing today is um, uh, is kind of crystallising the whole thing and saying that yes, we do, we are going ahead with the listing. Maybe, maybe what we should be asking ourselves is why they're going ahead with the listing. Well. Um, well, listing of you, what? Uh, Sid, we didn't. Uh, l- l- it, the, sorry, the listing of Pepco. Pepco. Pepco, Pepco is the entity which um, operates all their retail clothing businesses um, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in Eastern Europe and in parts of Western Europe, such as the United Kingdom and Spain, and I think France and things like that. But I mean, it, it really started off in Poland, if I remember correctly, and then, of course. Once it became very dominant in Poland, and they got the uh, they got the recipe right, they expanded it, and it now operates in a multitude of countries in Eastern Europe. Um, and then, of course, you know when Yester was still running, Stanovsky bought Poundland, and Poundland is now you know uh, being part of the European operation was thrown in there as well. And in fact, they found <clears throat> they found the chief executive Andy Bond, you know the ex as the guy. Um, um, he's he's British and he now is in charge of the entire thing and um, has done an extremely good job in welding it all together and actually running a very, very highly profitable and um, a very fast-growing and expanding business.
1: Sid, uh, Andy Bond, uh, I actually interviewed him when I was in the UK, went all the way up to yeah.
0: Wolverhampton.
1: Who's are, better known for a football team, and I don't think there's a heck of a lot more that goes on in Wolverhampton <laughs> apart from from Andy Bond, who's a class act. He really is.
0: Yeah, yeah, he he is a class act, and um, and um, well, you know, th- this I guess is his greater is his big opportunity to run, um, what will be a listed entity, um, uh, with dominant market shares in. In most of the countries where they operate in Europe, in, in, in the particular categories where they operate, um, you know, which is the lower end of the um, the lower end of the um, the value apparel market.
1: And a lot of South Africans won't really understand what ASDA is, but he used to, Andy Bond used to be the chief executive there. Can you yeah. give them a, a quick pen picture of this well, ASDA major retailer?
0: ASDA is a <clears throat> excuse me is a food retailer. Um, in other words it's like pick and pay or the Shoprite group or what have you it's one of the big um, one of the big three or four in the united kingdom we're talking of tesco talking of sainsbury we're talking of asda and um, and of course the the big german discounters are now claiming uh, um, a growing market share in england but as this came to fame is that it was a listed company it was taken over by walmart um became a wholly owned subsidiary of walmart but right now walmart um if i recollect um m- maybe uh, Mr. Shapiro will uh, confirm it that um Walmart and I in the process of divesting it i think to um to two British entrepreneurs. is that right?
2: I think so. I think they were almost forced to do so i think uh like 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 massmart here it didn't go the way they wanted it to go, so yeah ex- uh, not not so didn't cover themselves in glory, yeah.
0: No, no, sure, but but Andy, but Andy, mm-hmm. of course, was out a long time ago. So, mm. the things, the things that have been happening at ASDA more recently, of course, um, have nothing to do with Andy Bond because um, he's been at Pepco for quite a few years now. Uh,
1: what about the Steinhoff shareholders? What exactly do they
0: get well, out of this? Well, that's okay. Now that that's really where the whole debate comes in, because Steinhoff International Holdings. Um, NB has a huge amount of debt on its balance sheet. Now, my rough calculation, I took the September 2020 financial statements, um, took the net debt, deducted the debt that's lying in Pepco, South Africa, right, and um, made one or two other adjustments for the costs of the current litigation reduced it by the amount of settlement they're going to receive back from Mr. Visa for the loans they made to him. I think it was about 200 million euro or something like that. And I added on the interest. And remember, this is very expensive debt because the average cost of this debt is around about 10% per annum. Now, right now, if you've got euro debt in Europe and you're a top-class company, you're probably paying no more than 2% or 1% for your debt. But here they're paying 10%. So you add on 10% because the company's not going to make any money, enough enough money to, to service the debt this year. So by September this year, the debt will be roughly, we'll round it off at about €11 billion. Euros. So what's really happening, I think, is that the debt holders, I, my if I recollect correctly, that debt's got to be settled by 2023. So what these guys are doing, obviously, we're now starting to preempt it. The market is strong. The market is good. And um, now is the opportune time to um, to uh, monetize some of this investment. Because if you don't do it now, you're going to have to do something by 2023, because exactly like the Ascender story, the bankers can, or the lenders, well, in this case, not really bankers, the lenders can come along and say, well, if you don't give us our money, we, we're going to take the assets, because I think virtually every asset in Steinhoff NV is opt-up to the banks as security for, for the debt. Yeah. The, now, banks, the banks so, own
1: it, but why the Polish stock market? Uh, um, why would they go there rather than maybe London?
0: That I'm not sure of. The only, the only answer I can give you is a possibility that – Pepco was started in Poland, Mm -hmm. in Warsaw, and therefore they probably owe it to the Polish and they're saying, well, you know, we started there and um, that's why we're going to list there. Um, Quite frankly, if I were them, I would have uh, probably thought about um, listing in London or something like that. But nonetheless, what problem is the debt. Now, if we take the core assets in Steinhoff's NV and we put values on them, right, We've got Pepco South Africa that's listed, so we can put a value on it and convert it into euros. Um, I just put a, a a kind of a stub estimate onto the hemisphere properties. I put a kind of a rough valuation on the Australian assets. I put another rough valuation on the US assets. Remember, they 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 only own fifty percent of the US business now, and they don't control it. Control is with the um, with the the that's, other shareholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. I then took Pepco. Now, Pepco, it's difficult to value a clothing retailer right now, and I'll tell you why. Because if you take the last set of financial results of any of any business in Europe, any business anywhere in the world, most of those profits have been devastated um, and decimated by COVID. So I said, let's go back to 2019, Pepco. Let's say they grew by 10% in 20 and let's say they – in normal circumstances, and let's say they could have grown another 10% in 21, I then get a figure. Um, I assume there's no debt there because I'm assuming all the debt's in Steinoff. I take off, I apply a rough tax rate, and I put a value of 20, a 20 PE on this thing using mm-hmm. my figures. Okay. I come up with a value for Pepco of 5 billion euros. Okay, okay, but it's now, got 11 now, billion
1: in debt. Sorry, Sid, we all are on. running out of time. Okay, uh, so the bottom line there okay. is 11 billion bo- debt, five billion euros. oosh.
0: No, no, no. Hold on. The total value of all the assets is mm-hmm. nine and a half billion. Okay. So in other words, there's still a shortage. Now, my the only thing I can say to you in my closing comment is, whichever way I look at it, I don't think there's any value left for Steinolf shareholders.
1: Brilliant. Thanks for that's, that bottom lining it for us, yeah. uh, Sid Vianello. That
5: to me is the bottom
0: line.
1: Much appreciated, Sid. Uh, well, that's why the start of share price didn't move today, Justin.
5: Exactly. Um, but great analysis from Sid. It's always great to to get into the fundamentals rather than just know the broader story. Yeah.
1: The narrative is ne- is a poor substitute for the numbers. BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity. And the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Justin, how are we doing?
5: The JSU All Share Index was down at 68,100. The highlights included NASPUS down 75 rand to 3,470 rand a share on the back of Tencent Trading Week in Hong Kong this morning. Sabanja so Stillwater was down three and a half percent to 70 rand a share. South African conglomerate Bitvest was down three rand 50 to 173 rand a share, and Steinoff was flat on the day at two rand 12 cents. After announcing that it's awaiting creditors' approval to list its European discount retail business, Pepco on the Polish exchange, in the currency markets, the rand is weaker against all the major currencies to 14 rand 23 cents to the dollar, 19 rand 90 cents to the sterling, and 17 rand 11 cents to the euro. Gold is flat at $1,773 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $66.70 a barrel and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back a shade under 800k Bitcoin.
1: And this market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Thanks for being with us this evening. We'll be back, the Biz News team, same time, same place tomorrow. That means 5.30 on biznewsradio.com and, of course, FMR in Cape Town. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biznews.